cool. So, Amanda, thank you for for agreeing to chat with me today. How you living? How you been? I'm good. How you been? I'm, I'm all right. I'm right. It's been a lot. You know, COVID has been not. 2020 has been the gift that has keep on giving, right? From COVID to floods to everything in between. But I'm blessed to be here. Um, this is the first time on Napcast, so like introduce yourself to to the to the people. Hi guys, I'm Amanda, and I just started working at Hilltop in the raindrop room. Um, I come from a big pre-K background, and I've been doing this since 2012. Okay, all right. So right before Nikki left, you were actually his co-teacher, um, and you said you've been working in this since 2020. So I know you're coming over from a program that served primarily children of color. Um, and even more so, you're a black mother yourself. Zuri, right? Yep, Zuri. Okay, gotcha. Um, she's not enrolled in any preschool. No, she stays at home with my mother. Mm, gotta love it. <laughs> but I guess imagine she was for us. Black girls undergo uh, a super unique educational experience. So my question to you is, how would you support her in navigating preschool? And what structures or considerations would you demand from her preschool, from her educators, from that community uh, to ensure she can be successful? Um, well, I'm consistently thinking about her future and what I'm going to do when it's time for Zuri to attend preschool. I think as a Black woman, the world already expects so much of us. Mm. We're expected to be like, stronger at times when we shouldn't have. As a Black woman, the odds are already like primarily stacked against us. So yeah. um, being that I want my daughter from an early age, I want her to learn organizational skills. Um, just because I feel like it's very important to be organized. Um like being organized is a big key to so many factors of your life, schoolwork, your mm. job, just mm-hmm. everything you need to do. You know, you need these skills. And I feel like a lot of African-American children are not learning these organizational skills. Um, we often don't grow up with like daily schedules or yeah, other things like that. You know, it's kind of just um, like I was raised in a single mom household. So it was pretty much just my mom got off work and we were flying by our coattails trying to get done <laughs> before, you know, we had to. I, I feel you, right? You know? <laughs> so, being that I come from this like three kid household with one parent, like I feel like looking back, if we did have that, then things would have been a lot easier for my mom. But even then, like just thinking about your childhood and my childhood and comparing it, a lot of people are going to look at that as a deficit or, or oh, you didn't have structure in your life. But we learned so much more amazing things, right? How to be resilient, how to be responsive. Um, Is there one thing that comes off the top of your head where you're like, damn, my childhood, maybe I'm not the best organizer, right? You shouldn't, don't look at my desk because that's not a (laughs) strong point, but you're like, I learned this from my childhood. Um, I think one of the most things I learned from my childhood was to keep going and Mm. how to be flexible. You know, um, a lot of times I can fly by the seat of my coattail, not that I want to or that I need to, (laughs) but if things change, you know, I can get with the script, you know, real quick. And I think being an educator, that's very important because sometimes, you know, you create these big projects or you go into these big activities with kids and they might not want to do it and they might just want to drop it. And then boom, you're having to, you know, change everything, add this in, take this out, just kind of figure things out. Yeah, for sure. Can you imagine? It's the middle of COVID-19. People are suffering. 
The job market is crashing. Consistency and a sense of civility seems like a thing of the past. And then you get a call three weeks before the start of the new school year. Hey, that person says, we're building something amazing over here. And I want you on my team. So what do you do? Do you leave your current place of work? You know, the place where you know the people, where you know where the coffee pot is at. A place that grounds you amidst all this hecticness. Or do you venture off into the unknown? For four out of the five people you'll hear today, they decided to take that leap. They decided to come to Hilltop after only a 20-minute conversation. And we decided to check in with them to see how they're feeling, how they are adjusting. What gifts and spirits do they bring with them? And for the last person, Pachi, who has been here for a handful of years, we check in with her to see how is it like welcoming new faces, new families, new colleagues, new children, in a brand new school year. All right, y'all. So everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine tune your skills and grow more in depth? That's where we come in. These napcasts are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, (laughs) heck, even agree with us, but honestly remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right now, good. Let's get it. So how do you or what part of your culture do you bring in right now? I don't think there's any black girls um, within your class, per se, right now in your toddler class. But what how do you authentically bring that in um, to uh, to a school that doesn't necessarily reflect your background? I think how I bring it in is just my voice, really. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I've been learning is how to stand up and how to share my voice more and my opinions. And a lot of things just come from learning, you know, sharing with people and explaining to them why things are done the way they're done coming from like where I come from. Um, I recently read a story about a woman and she's a black social worker. And she said that there was a girl who came in and she had burns down her back. Mm. Now being African-American, you know, when we get our box braids, our hair is dipped in hot water. Yep. And so because there was this black social worker who was there who understood that she was able to advocate for this family, mm. like, no, this isn't child abuse. This is just something we yeah. do, you know, that helps our hair, but preserves it, you know, makes it look beautiful. And, you know, occasionally things like this happen. 
But it's really just that understanding and just, you know, advocating and, you know, sharing and telling stories and, you know, explaining why I am the way I am and my experiences that I've had. I guess, and I really want to emphasize explaining, not necessarily justifying who you are in in the foundation of, of how you grew up on, right? Yeah. Because I know we all have grown up, like, differently. Like, my, um, the way I might explain things or the way I might view things might be completely different than the way you view things or how yeah. you see them just based on how we've grown up. Well, black people can be different. Okay, okay, all right. So, okay, we talked about how do you bring that into the classroom, but how do you, how do you support... Um, your daughter in in achieving or or having that strong racial identity. Um, so I've been doing some research, and I was enjoying this article, and it was called "Unlocking Opportunity for African American Girls," mm. and it was a call to actually, It was a call for education equity, mm. and they did this study on African American girls in New York City, and the girls who had like a strong sense of racial identity, mm-hmm. um, those girls who described themselves as strongly in touch with their racial heritage or Afrocentric, they were more likely um, than others that didn't um, on a typical day to just um, get better grades, you know, be in more activities, turn in more of their schoolwork. Um, Mm. They uh, achieved more of their goals. A lot more of them went to college. And the evidence suggests that positive messages and support from parents and important adults as peers um, can support this this development Mm -hmm. (laughs) of positive race and gender identities. And it can have some effects on racism. So I think basically what they meant by that is having a strong sense of these girls' culture inside the school system and them being able to see this, you know, teachers who look like them, doctors, Mm -hmm. um, just really having that strong sense of culture, whereas sometimes you go to schools and you feel like this doesn't represent me or my background. Mm -hmm. And just giving these children these things that they need to feel like they're in a place where they're loved and they fit in. So that was about holding schools and organizations accountable. But what about at home? Um, I'm going to make sure that I do my part at home to make sure Zuri has that strong racial identity. Um, We do a lot of, um, what's the word for it? Mm, um, mm Self-empowerment. We do a lot of, um, you know, you are this, you are that, you are smart, you know, you can do this. Um, we, cause we just really want to, um, create that sense of, um, power and that sense of like, I guess, um, sorry, I can't. <laughs> yeah. and also just love, right? Because yeah. we, we typically don't love our black girls as much as we do. Right. You got to look at all the books. I feel like anytime I type in books about black children, it always goes to black boys. Um, and when we do talk about black girls, it's always this this ideology that they're more grown. So just making sure that we're protecting um, young femme identifying children in, as children, right? And as in loving them for, for who they are. Yes. And letting them stay children for as long as possible. Mm. I think that's very important. Um, 
not to rush our black girls to grow up, letting them, you know, if they want to play Barbie or make believe or be fairies, you know, mm. letting them have that chance to just be imaginative and be creative. Cause often a lot of times I feel like our creativity is um, stifled. Yeah. 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 All right. So my last question is, right. How do you, how do you protect yourself coming into a space that, that is predominantly white, right? We're changing that slowly but surely, but you know, you don't see me every <laughs> single day. So being being in a sea of whiteness um, in in the white culture, which like so, how do you just preserve yourself? Um, sometimes it can be hard, honestly, when you go into a place and you're kind of like the minority, mm-hmm. and you know it can be it can make you feel anxious because you come in and you're like, oh, I need to watch what I say or how I talk or how I do this and how I do that. And so I feel like I've been really trying to be intentional of how I speak and what I do and what I bring in because I want to bring in all the best parts of me Mm. and the parts of me that aren't the best, you know, will come with it. But I just try to really talk with my coworkers. Um, I have made some allies here that Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable, you know, with talking to. And um, I've been learning different ways to advocate for myself and different ways to stand up for myself. And it really helps just having people you work with that do understand where you're coming from, or even if they don't understand that they are um, willing to listen. Thank you. Welcome. So, hey, Pachi, welcome to a new skill year. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, yeah. actually. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> cool. So the viewers don't, they might have read a couple of your blogs and your articles and things like that, but just explain who you are and um, how you came to get to Hilltop. Yeah. Um, well, my pronouns are she and her, and I've been at Hilltop for three years. This is my fourth year here. I work in a preschool classroom, children three to five. And I've always admired Hilltop's values and and work in the world. Mm. So I decided to apply, and I was lucky they hired me. Gotcha. You are you're from Brazil, right? And I'm from Brazil. And yes. and what state in Brazil? Is uh, it called states or is it? We called... call it states. Uh, mm. State of São Paulo. Okay, gotcha. All right, all right. You know, I I always express how resilient children are. Or maybe Nick says that. Uh, one of us says it. And honestly, when I look at our staff, I see you as one of our most resilient educators. And I say that because, you know, we have seven different classrooms at our Queen Anne location and then a couple more at our Fremont one, which just opened up. Um, and I feel like at our Queen Anne location, you've been in what, three or four of them just in your three years here. So as we've grown at Hilltop and really welcomed new people and new families, into our space, you've really been super responsive and, and flexible, really, in, in all these changes. And honestly, being on leadership, thank you, because that's not a, that's not easy. So, you know, we appreciate that. You know, Nick and I, we're going around for this episode and kind of asking all of our newish colleagues of colleagues of color, excuse me, questions just about the new school year. And, um, you know, you're not new. <laughs> You've been here for three years. But I, we're going to lump you into that. But I really wanted to get a chance to talk to you about just what I said, just the amount of different classrooms and colleagues you've worked with um, over your time here. So there's a couple of different questions. So please feel free to 
<laughs> to remind me, but basically I want to know how have you grown as an educator by working with different people? Um, what challenges right now about the way we have moved as an organization since we are growing through COVID? And just how have you taken care of yourself during all of these changes? Yeah, the way I see it is that I had some overdue growth mm. and that happened very quickly, um, such as the pace of working in a pandemic. Um, we must think on your feet, and that means also making things work on the go with a new colleague. <laughs> um, I was put in a position of taking more leadership in the classroom and, and in my relationships with children and families. Um, I had to consider how my voice was in, was impacting others in the classroom. Um, that means having a voice or lacking having one. Mm. Um, by being a person of color, I'm also making space for my new colleagues of color to have a voice. Um, things like that are always on my forefront of my on my work. Mm-hmm. Um, by getting retriggered by events, am I able to be there emotionally for my colleagues? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been learning to understand that the expectations of a fair exchange um, can look different to different people. And I'm very vocal about that now. Mm. I'm trying to anticipate others' needs and my needs, um, but not in a way that would be stressing about it. Um, if my colleague is from a dominant culture, for example, I've been expressing how that can look like in the classroom and how the space one occupies differs. Um, it's hard work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I've been feeling more solid and grounded in my work than before, and all these challenges have helped me, um, helped me grow. All this overdue growth that it had to happen. Mm. And do you see it being reflected just in the children that, like your growth? Do you see it being reflected in the children that you're working with? I I see that too, mm. and and it's, I like to think that this is what's <laughs> happening. Yeah, that we are growing together in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I guess what what are just some of the challenges right now um, about the way we have moved as an organization, right? Historically, currently, um, just through COVID with the amount of cleaning, right? I feel like I smell like bleach all the time now, (laughs) Um, as well as just our growth that's happening right now. Yeah. um, I think that Hilltop and all of us has really embraced uh, the concept of resiliency and flexibility during these times. And I've always thought that if there w- there was one organization that could pull it off, being safe <laughs> and cold through mm-hmm. tough times, would be Hilltop. Uh-huh. Um, and the way I see the challenge is, is about kind of building a fair, more equitable work culture during a big mm. transition and, and during tough times. And, but how do you do it? Yeah. Right? And it's really easy to slip into excuses like, we can't do that because of COVID mentality. Right, exactly. Uh, but your top as an organization has been on the top of that. And I see it trying to don't fall into the strap. Mm-hmm. Um, and building a fair and equitable work culture can look different ways. And and it's also challenges that the way we, we relate to each other has changed. Um, we are still learning relationships, mm-hmm. but that has changed. It's different. So we don't see each other that often. Uh, we can be there for each other emotionally sometimes. Some people are going through a lot of painful things right now. And COVID has brought new and old triggering emotions and yeah, traumas. Absolutely. And I think for organization, it's important to find its heart 
and expanded to the rest of its staff. Some people are feeling a little disjointed. Mm -hmm. So where can you bring a little of this heart back to them so you're stronger together? Oh, that's powerful. You mentioned, um, so what about challenges for you though? So by being in a new and different team, again, um, what are, how is that challenging for you that this organization has put on, on you? Yeah, I think being more in a leadership role and, and, and trying to anticipate others' needs and anticipate my own needs. Mm. What, what do I need from mm. Hilltop? So I can grow and grow with Hilltop. So what do you need? <laughs> <laughs> I think I need more, um, maybe more space. So I can be more mm. vocal about what the needs and, and thoughts and dreams that I, I want to provide and collaborate with Hilltop. Now, when you would say space, mm -hmm. do you mean um, more physical space, more space to express your thoughts? Well, like, break that down for me. Yeah, I think it would be both but mm -hmm. basically more space as uh, as like a staff person to speak up and, mm. and share my thoughts maybe uh, you know uh, we don't see each other so much anymore no. so i don't <laughs> i don't i can't really check in with each other see how they are mm -hmm. or people are not checking in with me to see how i'm feeling yeah. and maybe having that space could be maybe a classroom or something that we could go and do a little check-ins and see how gotcha. each other are feeling Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's super valuable because, you know, we're <laughs> we're growing and even though this is supposed to put Hilltop in a good light, um, you know, there are there are flaws and there's also uh, or maybe not flaws. But there's also opportunities for us to grow, even though we're growing. And um, I think a lot of different organizations out there could use what you're saying um, and hasn't created the space um, for educators to speak out. So if you're, you know, as part of a leadership team and hopefully other leadership people who are out there, um, you know, I hope you can take that to heart and really taking on the educator's lead because you are, you know, Nikki would, <laughs> Nikki is gonna, you know, love this piece, but you know, what is leadership? And I think we're all leaders in, in different ways and I'm honoring that for, for you and for the other educators. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. So with all that's going on, whether that's, um, you know, because a lot of times, since you're saying you're from Brazil, you know, there's also a lot of uh, social injustices that are happening down there, mm -hmm. and, as well as here um, in in the United States, and just COVID and all this other kind of complex issues from climate change to whatever that are all happening. So, how are you taking care of yourself during all of this? Um, I think two of the things I've been focusing is on community care and having uninterrupted time. Mm, I love that community my stuff. Community care, <laughs> I love that. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I like to think of self-care as going beyond the, you know, take a bath or read a book <laughs> ideas. You know, they're all great and they're helpful. Mm -hmm. And I love taking a bath and I love reading books. And I have a little bit of whiskey, but uh <laughs> <laughs> or that too. Yeah. Um, but I think what is really meaningful to me, especially lately, is to have community support and providing support too. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a kind of village, you know, uh, taken care by a village yeah. model, mm -hmm. and I see the value of that. Um, yeah, my mom talked about that in right. my episode. Oh man, I should know off the top of my head. Episode eight. 
go back and listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, for example, even in COVID times, um, it's healing for me to see some of my friends that I consider family now mm. and hang out with them in the backyard for an hour or so um, to still hold ceremonies and indigenous rituals with people mm. I care and love to cook or to order some yummy food for each other, <laughs> uh, to watch my friend's dogs because she was having a mental breakdown mm-hmm. and another time she was there for me. Um, so things like that, to make an art piece and write from the heart and deliver to a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, all that is taken care of and letting being taken care of your community. Absolutely. And then with your classroom, right? That's a community in its, in of itself. So how are you supporting the children in, in taking care of themselves and checking in on them um, that feels authentic and, and rich for you? Yeah, I think we'll be very fortunate that the families are being pretty responsive and very vocal about mm. how they want to really build a community or re- or adding up to the existing community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're having social chairs back up again, and the families are really excited about finding ways to communicate. Mm-hmm. We have some people going through really tough times, my, some families going through really tough times in my classroom. And I think that people are really stepping up and mm-hmm. and making sure this is not just on the teacher's shoulders to be part mm-hmm. and taking care of the communities that is all of us are in, in, in this together um and for the children one thing that i've been really working with them lately is that um you can hold so many feelings at the same time so mm-hmm. sometimes children just see the one thing at a time like right or wrong and yeah. or I'm just sad. Happy or I sad, be yeah. Happy. <laughs> but no, and it's something that would be working with children that I can feel really sad because I can't see my grandmother right now. Mm-hmm. She's sick or something like yeah. this. Yeah. But I'm happy I get to go see my friends. Ah. You know, mm-hmm. hold that complexity of feelings for young children is, is something that has been very helpful and bring that sense of really community. You can hold all these feelings together. You can still even though you're not seeing them. Mm. And I guess the last question I have for you is you mentioned social chairs. So can you describe what that is? And then how do you see, um, how do you see that working or how would you hope that would work uh, given the context in which we're, we're living in right now? Yeah, I think we are, think of, of some ideas, some of the families brought up some ideas. They mm-hmm. think they can make it work between them. Um, they are trying to do some backyard play dates. Mm. They are trying to do a, I can't remember now, is it a tr- candy truck delivery? Oh. So <laughs> it's close to Halloween. Sign me up be, for that. <laughs> they'll be driving around delivering candy to the other uh, you know, kids in, in, in the classroom um, and trying to have a coffee date nice. with a parent and checking with that parent mm-hmm. to see how they act, how they're doing emotionally, really. I love that. And social chairs, just once again for the mm-hmm. audience, what what is that? Is some families are interested in in being a connector, facilitator, and and bringing ideas to bring that community together. Mm. In your classroom. In community. the classroom. Okay. Yeah. So you're keeping the same bubbles and and pods mm-hmm. and yeah. essentially germs with it's, that it's, special. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Pachi. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike, for having me. Jan, bienvenidos, ¿cómo está? 
Muy bien, gracias. All right, for those who don't speak Spanish, that was welcome. How are you? Um, and uh, your answer was good. So we definitely appreciate you coming through on the Napcast. Um, you're new here, so I'm gonna just let you introduce yourself to our audience. I'm Jen. Um, I, like Mike said, I'm new to Hilltop. Uh, previously, I was just enrolled in school and working on campus. So mm. this is my first job. First, first yeah, job my ever? First, first job. Oh, man. Like, yeah, I wouldn't say ever, but within the field, yeah. Okay, yeah, welcome. What were you doing before this, you um, said? Well, I was on campus and mm. I was more of a support on at the child center there. Okay. So. Gotcha. And you're studying early childhood education. Uh, that would make yeah. sense, right? And you go by she, her? Say again? She, her is your pronouns? Oh, yes. Okay, gotcha. Now you speak Spanish, so what's your, um, what's your uh, origins? Mexican. Mexican, so right. um, Mexican from, from both sides. Um, parents are both Mexican. They were born in Mexico and then they immigrated to the U.S. And I was born here. All right, you're so, a Seattleite? Uh, not. I'm not native, no. okay. but, <laughs> but I am now, yes. All right, well, where would you say, what state or city would you rap? Illinois, Chicago. Illinois, Chi-Town, okay. <laughs> I knew I liked you, all right. <laughs> so, as you said, you're in a new school, right? A new place, new children, new faces, new, new city, right? Yeah. And um, you walk in day one, and you don't know a face here. The first thing you hear is me talking about like white supremacy, white culture and all that and how that operates just in the world at Hilltop, et cetera, et cetera. So what were your first reactions? Were you like, damn, like what the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I was definitely a little intimidating. It was a, definitely a little intimidating, um, but very empowering because mm. that's not what I was expecting. So I had heard about Queen Anne. I have a friend who lives not that far away. Um, and I knew of the area very little, but I, I knew that it was very um, on the wealthier side. Go ah. so. <laughs> on, you can say it, girl. No one's going to find you. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is definitely going to be a, a whole new environment for me. Mm. Um, but I, nonetheless, I was very excited to, to, to join the team. Um, and I thought that it was a, a really good, good area for me to learn and grow professionally and personally, um, because I do have my own biases. Yep. And so I was like, all right, let's, let's work on these. Um, so I knew that Hilltop would definitely be a, a different setting for me to learn in because of the approach that Hilltop takes to learning, which is, you know, emergent curriculum. And that's something very new for me. Um, one, I wondered what families would look like and if there would be anyone who looked like me um, and anyone that I could truly relate to because of the area of, um, and just what I knew of, of Queen Anne um, before coming here. So what I didn't know was the movement ah, <laughs> that was okay. taking place here. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, yeah, yeah, which was an amazing surprise mm. and I think that for many of us you know, we we dream about making a change mm. uh, but how many of us do we 
actually get the opportunity yeah. to, to be part of it. Um, and I do firmly believe that if you want to make a change, you have to be part of that change. And so it turns out that I have a lot more in common with my faculty <laughs> members uh, than what I had anticipated, which is comforting. But also it's like, okay, now we're here. Now what? Yeah. Now, now what? What, uh, what does this work actually entail? Um, so what do you think? What do you think, from your perspective, how would you like to see it be incorporated? Because when we talk about race, when we talk about culture, we talk it's a very binary construct that we have in the United States between black and white. So how do we respect and involve and fold in your heritage, your traditions, your funds of knowledge into this work? Mm -hmm. I don't think I understand your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do we, when, when we talk about race and culture in the classroom, how do we respect and honor your, your Mexican heritage and all of the foundational pieces um, that your family has laid down for you to be able to join us today? Okay, so <laughs> I'm not trying to bad talk anyone, but I know that where I have thrown out some ideas, hey, let me bring this into the classroom. They're like, okay, well, are any children asking about it? Because with emergent curriculum, we really want to support children and their curiosity. Mm. I was like, okay, well, how can I present it in a way where it kind of maybe, hopefully, triggers their cu curiosity, curiosity yeah. right? Because we do have some Spanish speakers, so I'm able to sing and talk mm -hmm. with them in Spanish. And so I feel very much at home in, in that era area um and bringing in some some mexican music or just latin music in general that that's another another way um and also with dia de los muertos coming up which is the 31st through the second that's kind of where my idea was where it's like, okay can i introduce this yeah. to the classroom um whether that support is there yes and no um if it aligns with our classroom it's a lot of the answers that I get, um, but it's not going to stop me from from bringing it in. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Um, how do you right? So the classroom is one piece, and when we're talking about changing a culture, we're talking I about. To see if you were ready, then feel good about your room. All set. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Oh, that would be it at all. Maybe I'll keep it in and be like, thanks, Darlene, for walking in. Especially when now I lost my chain of thought. But, okay, so it's a little bit more of a struggle in terms of introducing part of, of who you are, essentially, into the classroom. Because once you've, and I think all schools have this problem, um, or encounter this challenge when you've done it a certain way for so long and that's just how you know like to operate and then you try to infuse and fold in other different perspectives that's where you get that tension piece mm -hmm. so my question to you is how do you keep going when you've been uh, or what keeps you going when you've been denied when you've been uh, um outcasted when you've been when when it conjures so many of these feelings what preserves you 
Well, Mike, we're talking about my entire life here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's, good, it's so good for people to know because a lot of our listeners are white and they just don't get it, right? Yeah. And, and even this is so healing for, as another person of color, to hear how you do it. So I'm going to be taking notes right now <laughs> to be like, oh, that's how she does it? Ice cream? Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have ice cream, but my body apparently just wants to refuse it always, no matter how many times I try. Um, but this question definitely just hits home for me because I am Mexican and because I was born in the U.S. And so, you know, my entire life was a struggle and identity struggles. Like, okay, well, you're Mexican, sure, but you speak Spanish with an accent. And you're American, sure, but you don't look American. Mm -hmm. And what is what does an American really look like and not feeling like I really fit in because my skin tone isn't like everyone else's. And so growing up, yes, I lived in the West suburbs of Chicago, but we moved to a very small country town, just mm. mostly all white people. Right. And so trying to, to fit in, I mean, I, I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't. Um, so what keeps me going is the fact that I do have a son. Um, he is half Mexican and half Irish and Italian. So one thing that I remember growing up in the classroom was who I was surrounded with. And no one really looked like me. My teachers didn't look like me. And not really ever being able to connect with, one, my family, two, people who were supposed to be my friends. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that same type of environment for my son. Mm -hmm. And so I am pushing to be something for not only my son, but for future generations. You know? um, because the world is definitely looking a lot different than than what I had the opportunity to grow up with. Yeah. Um, so I will continue to, to push for change. Um, not only my own thinking with my son's thinking, but um, what I'm going to school for and who I'm going to, to come in and to uh, interaction with. Every interaction matters. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we're influencing people with through interaction and experiences. And it's not so, so much about what people are doing, but it's how we're making them feel. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to stick with people. Um, and with children especially. And yes, it's very it's very intimidating being here and, and, and working with families who don't look like mine. Um, but regardless, I am going to start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's just, that's just what it's going to have to take. Um, and they're going to have to do the same with me because I don't look like them. Their children don't look like me. But I know I am confident in my knowledge and my experience is that I have something to offer. That's Absolutely. why I'm here. So think think with me. All right. Your son is how old? Six. Six. Let's let's pretend he was three again. Okay. And you're gonna send him to Hilltop. What would you demand as both an educator, right, with his knowledge of how early childhood education operates, as well as a parent? and you're sending them to Hilltop or any other organization that um, serves affluent families that doesn't necessarily reflect your background, what would you demand from uh, the school and what would you demand from 
the educators in their class in order to support your, your child. Understanding, mm. just, just trying to understand. And because sure we can ask for patience, but patience is very limited. I ain't Try. got nothing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that varies from people to people. Um, but really trying to understand someone and someone's situation, that is different. That is a lot more heartfelt. Um, and I think that patience shortly follows after once you gain an understanding of someone's experience. Sure, you can, you can, uh, how should I say this? You can try and relate, but, and granted, uh, depending on your experiences, you may or you may not. Um, but always asking questions um, to try and try and gain a better understanding. That's what matters. Um, because depending on what people have gone through, they, they may be a little bit more open or they may be a little bit more reserved. And I think that as educators, it's our job to ask questions, to make sure that we are, we are voicing, that we are there for families. And I know that as, as a single mom, I was a single mom for a very long time. Educators, our primary caregivers didn't ask those questions. Like, what is your home life, life like? Or what resources do you need? Or how can we support you? It was just like, well, if you need anything, let us know. But my prideful <laughs> self, I, I have been very independent for many, well, many years, right? That's, we all. <laughs> that's all of us, right? It, it's across the board. Uh, if you are a voice of color, I know like my mom would never say anything. And I'm right. I can have a broken leg and I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Right. What you talking about? Like, <laughs> let's go get this money. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. But so, so it's, it wasn't until someone was like, okay, do you need help with this? It's just like, well, even if I do, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I want to say yes, mm. but, but still just that continuous push is like, Hey, I'm here. Hey, mm. like, let us know. Or, Hey, what's going on or just like a simple how's your day going yeah. even that or what's your energy level like today just those simple questions that that uh determination for connection like true Ooh. genuine authentic connection Damn. okay preaching out here <laughs> <laughs> that's important that that's what i would demand i love it so you're in a unique position you're in school getting your degree you're working full-time as an educator. And I, I want to talk theory and practice with you. So most teacher prep curriculum are representative of this field, meaning it was mostly developed by and still currently taught by white identifying femme um, individuals. And the reason I bring this up is because your class at Hilltop is actually quite diverse. A lot of these things we are being taught in university is is through a white framework. So, what are some of the theories you're learning you're learning in class about being with children that you see playing out with your toddlers that you're like, yo, yep, <laughs> yep, they got it right, right? That's absolutely correct. And also, I guess just what are some of the the theories or the the strategies you're learning that you're like that does not make any sense for these kids of color that that don't quite translate from theory into practice. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, 
Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, we must take into consideration the child as an individual, mm -hmm. uh, their experiences and their needs, um, and if they're being met before we apply any of those theories. Mm -hmm. And um, by needs, I mean asking questions such as if they have food, if they mm. have shelter, if they have clothing. Um, How's their energy level? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and other questions like, are their parents going through a divorce? Uh, mm. what, what does their family look like? Um, is it a single parent household? It, but those are very, um, those are questions that like dig at the heart of, of things. How do you approach that? How do you, I mean, I guess it's a little easier for us because, you know, that connection piece, but if you're uh, a white educator were to say that to you right now, how would you respond? Um, I think it's personally, this yeah, is just yeah. personally, <laughs> I would definitely respond in, I think, what's the word I'm looking for? appreciate it. I would appreciate mm. it. Um, and I guess it would depend on, on the way that they ask about it. Mm. So whether it was just like a, like if they handed me a form, it was like, okay, tell me about your household. And that doesn't feel as organic as if it was a sit down conversation. Um, more about like, maybe if they asked it in a way that if there was anything that they would like from or from me to, or how should I say this? The question that I would ask as an educator, if I was, say, I was a white educator mm -hmm. and I was talking to, a, you know, like a single mom or, you know, someone who had a very strong religious background or cultural background, is there anything in particular? that you practice with your family that you would like for us to honor mm. in the classroom. Mm. I love that. Because, because families are very individual and again, it's that pride. It's that pride that, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very much at different levels with every family. So it's like, okay, we don't want to strip you away from, from that, but we do want to make sure that we are pulling bits and pieces from each family and kind of making making a, a culture here within the classroom. Kind of like soup. Ooh, love soup. <laughs> <laughs> so what else you got about the question I just asked you? We can't just expect parents to want to share these things up front. In my experience as a parent, I've unfortunately encountered some educators who make assumptions about my son and I instead of asking questions. In fact, environment can impact a child's personality tremendously. And so there, before anything, uh, we need to make sure that we are understanding the circumstances of each child because not everyone's dynamics are the same. Oh, so insightful. I feel like I just had a whole history lesson right there. <laughs> so what about, so let's switch it up. Let's, let's okay. speak in Spanish right here. Okay. All right, I'm going to ask you in English. You, you can translate. <laughs> but what advice would you give to other Latinx or Spanish speakers 
or let's just say anyone who speaks a different language or who immigrated to the country, who parents either, you know, their parents did or they did, who is working in this field, what are some advice or thoughts that you love to share with them? ¿Qué consejo le daría a los otros latinos o hispanohablantes que trabajan en esta industria? Amen su cultura, pero eso no, no necesariamente tiene que... Eso no necesariamente significa que uno tiene que, que proteger la cultura. Hay muchas cosas que no necesariamente son bien para, para los niños o las niñas. Uh -huh. um, y Think of your question. What advice would I give to Latinx Spanish speakers? Yeah. How would you who are going into this field? Or how would you find your voice? What has helped you find your voice to be able to confront systems, policies, to advocate for you, your people, and your culture? ¿Cómo ha encontrado su voz para poder transformar sistemas, las normas y defender y abogar por su gente, su historia y su cultura? There's this one saying, Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hay un dicho que siempre me ha dicho mi padre. Si se puede. Y... Entre todo hay solución, solamente en la muerte no. Can I switch back to English or you want me to continue? No, no, continue. I understand. I don't care about the other people, right? <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, cuando uno se da por vencido, es que los otros ganan. Y. Los límites que tenemos, los más fuertes son los que, los que nos damos nosotros. Nosotros tenemos la, what is the word? Advantage. Advantages? That's what I would have used. Advantages? Yeah. Really? I don't know. Did it sound <laughs> good for a second? Oh, damn. I got this. Okay. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> Nosotros tenemos los aventajes de venir de una cultura muy llena de, de amor y, y un, un querer para trabajar y avanzar. Y eso es, es una parte que no, no debemos dejar. O sea, unas cosas sí, como, como estamos criando los niños. Pero, pero en eso no, no darse por vencido. Porque sí se puede. 
si nuestros padres, padres pudieron venir aquí a los Estados Unidos, o sea, en pie, sin nada de comer, no tener agua, no, no tener dinero, ni un hogar, y ni saber la lengua de este país, y ahora nosotros, que si tenemos todo eso, ¿por qué? ¿Por qué no? We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high-quality preschool, after-school program, and Professional Development Institute of Early Learning and Inquiry, serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. Mm, or ah, or aha. You probably heard that a lot in the first part of this NAPCAST. That's because I was learning and listening and feeling all of the emotions, all of the challenges, all of the growth and triumphs my BIPOC colleagues had to endure in order to be here today. Did you have those moments too? Did you find yourself rewinding 15 seconds to let those words hit you again or thought, ah, yeah, my, my colleague has had those similar experiences. Or perhaps you're sitting there now and you're thinking, hmm, I've never had the opportunity to chat with my colleagues on a level like that. There's a saying, you don't know what you know until you know. And since these NAPCASTs are meant to elevate our levels of consciousness around topics, you know, regardless if you agree with us or not, I want to take a moment to reflect and to try to concretize, is that even a word? <laughs> concretize what we just heard. And what I'm reflecting on right now is that well, I kind of talk a lot. I didn't realize I had so much audio and that I eventually had to break this episode into two segments, two parts. But what did we learn from our three educators? Amanda, Pachi, and Jen. Well, since I have the mic, since you're clearly still listening, I think that means you want me to care, you, you know, you want to hear my takeaways. So here it goes. What did I learn? I learned that schools need BIPOC educators, and BIPOC is Black, Indigenous, People of Color. That schools need BIPOC educators now more than ever. But it's more than just numerical diversity, which we all fall into the trap of wanting, right? We want to serve more BIPOC families and children. We want to hire more BIPOC educators. But see what that mindset, you know, seeking numerical diversity is actually a form of tokenization. So what happens if we just have the slightest of shifts in perspectives? What can we unlock? See, what you listened to was 
we need more BIPOC educators. But what maybe you didn't actually hear is what I'm really trying to get at, is that we actually need more BIPOC voices to be a part of the fabric of our systems. We need to keep asking ourselves, asking our colleagues and our leadership team, why is it that we don't have any BIPOC members in our space? What are we doing that pushes them away? And when we are blessed to be learning in relationship with them, how are we not creating affirming spaces for them so they can share their experience with us freely? And, uh, and I'm saying we a lot, but maybe I should be saying I. Because there's work that we all need to do as individuals and as a collective. So do I constantly interrupt them when they're speaking? Do I downplay their opinions? Do I use my positionality of power, both in the literal sense of power I hold, and the informal relationship or relational power in my organization, do I use that to drown out their ideas? Do they try and bring part of their culture into the classroom, into the organization, and I reject it? Or do I say, oh, that's an interesting idea, and then never sincerely follow up or explore? Do I start little fires everywhere and manipulate my words and, and try to throw them underneath the bus? When situations arise, do I ever pause and think, hmm, I wonder if this situation makes them feel comfortable? Or am I quick to try and make it so I get to feel that comfort all the time? Nick and I say this all the time. There's actually not a lot of difference between toddlers and adults. <laughs> we just have more experience in, in saying the words mine and no in more complex and subtle ways. It makes me wonder, are we modeling this behavior for our children? <laughs> I'm going to say yes, because it's, it's a no-brainer as when I do my outreach or the internal or care. I hear it all the time when we're welcoming new people in our classrooms or our learning space, and we hear them say, oh, this is my classroom, or you're joining my team. We say that, we think that, rather than seeing it as an opportunity to create this space together, to define our team values, as opposed to telling me to abide to the ones you've decided before me. It's to retool our culture to ensure we are having a positive and equitable teaching experience for all. What you heard were three strong women of color, but still, deep down inside each of them, you can hear and you can see in their eyes, or at least I can see, there's still some sort of level of fear some sort of emotion we aren't afforded to show because for too long, 
people have tried to exploit that. Last week, I had a disagreement with a colleague, and it was this fear that was racing through my mind. It was like, okay, Mike, (laughs) you're upset, and don't forget, here are the rules. Enter the room first. Keep a distance. Don't point. Keep your back to the wall so that it doesn't appear that I'm boxing my white colleague in. What about my voice? You know, keep my voice in a tone at a certain level or, or decimal or pitch. Because, <laughs> because it could easily be misconstrued as violent or aggressive. These are fears that when we enter these spaces, we will never be able to feel that sense of belonging that many other people talk about. It's a fear to even take that situation to the airways right now. Look, I know NAPCAS are supposed to be interviews or whatever, but check it out. For too many of us, they're also healing sessions. Healing, <laughs> right? What a, what a odd concept to be thinking of. I mean, I, I barely know these people, right? Yet somehow, I've never felt more connected to ECE than ever before. And doesn't that just kind of sound weird to y'all? 40 hours a week I work. Well, you know, might be a little bit more. Just don't tell HR that. But in that 40-hour work week, only 40 minutes of it is where I can feel comfortable. And it's not because we're all people of color. I see you over there, Karen, rolling your eyes thinking that. But newsflash. The, the Black, the Brazilian, the Indigenous, and the Latinx, more specifically, the Mexican experience, are very different from each other. Yet for those 40 minutes, I didn't feel alone in this field of ECE anymore. How many of your BIPOC colleagues feel comfortable in, quote-unquote, your space? What feels normal to you and I'm using bunny ears around normal. And that's probably not even a word that can be used in 2020 or should be used anymore. But what those normal to you and how you intentionally disrupt a culture in which for once you don't get to feel comfortable all the time, not just when we're talking about race, but from how you construct meetings to ways you engage each other. Maybe it's something even more simple, you know? Maybe it's the way you set up a leaving party for each other. But it's that tiny shift in perspective that can lead to a tectonic shift in culture, which speaks volumes to how organizations need to do more to implement a system of support. We're trying to center BIPOC educators, but what we're not trying to do and what we're not finna do is have them shoulder all the work. Think back to what Nick and I said in episode one. We want to help educators and early learning professionals of color feel like they belong while at the same time providing a different lens for all of us to engage in this work. Now, I might be biased, but 14 episodes later, I feel like, you know, these napcasts, we're doing just that. But listening to a podcast is only a part of it. 
if you about this movement, if you about social justice movement, right? You call yourself a social justice warrior, like get really down for the cause. We need to break from this mindset of what about me and my feelings and my comfort to how can we move in this work together moving forward? And when you put actions to your words and you know you start to get that little bit of resistance, because you most certainly will, how will you show up? Do you have the mental fortitude to stand strong? If you have the conversation I had the other day when someone asked me straight up, must everything be looked at through the lens of privilege and race? First of all, <laughs> uh, yeah. But will you be okay to have these tough conversations? Even if you don't know the right words or will you decide, meh, I just want to have a nice Sunday meal together and not fight. Nick, I, Amanda, Pachi, and Jen just now, and Teresa, Teresa, I like to, you know, throw that little bit of uh, uh, flavor on it. And Afonso, you'll hear in part two, and all the other voices we have on, we have to share our experience of racism, of hardships, and of success with all of you so that we can have an understanding of what it's like to be a voice of color in ECE. Sometimes they'll give you, you know, specific concrete steps. And other times you're going to have to do the work. You have to indulge in the journey of, of, of reflection, of, of research, in self-actualization in order to build up systems of social, emotional, and psychological support. So in closing, you can't help that you were born white. But you can unlearn how some of your ways are toxic, are abusive, are dehumanizing. You can unlearn that through ongoing knowledge, action, and empathy that is meant to uproot, dismantle, and to heal. The sense of urgency you're feeling right now to implement the solutions can't be prioritized over centering the voices of those who have been hurt the most. It might have been cool five years ago. It was never cool, FYI. But you might have been able to justify five years late, five years ago, you know, that, that band-aid solutions, but we're no longer seeking those. We're no longer seeking band-aid solutions. We're seeking the vaccine to our troubles. This is a journey, a journey that Jen said earlier requires patience and understanding. A journey towards creating long-lasting change in your community. And this journey, y'all, will last your entire life. Stay tuned for part two of this conversation, available at www.hilltop.com.
cc.org.